We're going to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And we've been looking at this whole idea of how is it that we follow Jesus. We're no, we know we're supposed to be disciples. We know we're supposed to follow him. But what does that actually look like? And uh, over the, the last few weeks of this summer, we've been discovering that in Matthew 4, 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is laying out the basic principles of how to actually follow him. And so when we look at this, this thing that we know as the Sermon on the Mount, if you have a red-letter Bible, it's a whole bunch of red letters because Jesus is preaching this sermon to multitudes, but he's wanting to demonstrate what it really looks like to follow him. And so here we are, living led, and we're, we're talking about the Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. That will be our focus passage. But I wanted just to kind of build some runway here before Joshua takes us into it. And uh, you remember that a couple of weeks ago, we had a chance to look at the end of Matthew chapter 5. We went through that whole passage at the very end of Matthew 5, and we saw that Jesus is calling us, when he calls us to follow, he's calling us to experience righteousness on a heart level, right? It's not just the outward forms of what we do, but the heart that motivates it. And so when we get into chapter 6, we're looking at the spiritual practices of someone who follows Jesus. Prayer. We're looking at uh, donations and charitable giving, living for, not for yourself, but living for others. But notice that Jesus actually prioritizes the heart again. Take a look, Matthew chapter 6. If you're there in verse 1, go ahead and say amen. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Notice something. Uh, Again, Jesus is getting to the heart of things. Verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Skip on down to verse 5 and see if you notice something that's being repeated. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by who? By men, right? By other people. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Here's the thing. There was a version of spirituality back in that day that was largely predicated upon what people saw in you, what people perceived about you. In other words, it was more about outward show than it was about inward motivation. And so the examples that he gives are, are people that are, um, that are praying so that other people can hear them or people that are giving their donations so that other people can see them. And, but that's not, that's not what God is going for. Jesus wants us to know that when we live a life that's led by him, it's not just about what you do outwardly, but it's what you do privately. In fact, it's, it's actually what you do when no one is looking. When no one is looking. I, I think that that's actually something that we can sometimes, sometimes resonate. I don't know if you've ever noticed yourself doing spiritual things because other people were watching. Have you ever... Okay, maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> Last night we were hanging out. We were hanging out uh, at, at the base of the rock. We didn't climb the rock like we wanted to and pray over the town because of the rain and lightning. That was a little dangerous. But we hung out under the covered picnic area, and we were praying there. And uh, there was this gentleman, older gentleman, who had been there the whole time, just kind of uh, on a uh, sitting at another table. By the end of our prayer time, he came over and just like just beamed about the fact that, man, he said, you guys must really love Jesus to be out here in the wind and the rain, <laughs> to be praying for this town and stuff. But he prayed with us and for us. And I tell you, for those of you who were there, like you could feel, <laughs> I don't know, there was just a, a charge, a passion to that prayer. 
And I was supposed to pray after that. And I, I kept thinking to myself, Lord, I'm not praying to, to outpray this guy. <laughs> you know? And, and so I found myself just like, okay, this is not about me. This is not about being seen or heard by others. This is about me praying to God. In fact, the, the life that is led by God, I would submit to you, has an audience of one. And his name is Jesus. Uh, but, but here's a, a really powerful quote that I read earlier this week, actually, in some of my devotional time, by a pastor named Timothy Keller in his book called Prayer. It says, Does it discover the real you, look at what you spend time thinking about when no one is looking, when nothing is forcing you to think about anything in particular. At such moments, do your thoughts go towards God? You may want to be seen as a humble, unassuming person, but do you take the initiative to confess your sins before God? You wish to be perceived as a positive, cheerful person, but do you habitually thank God for everything you have and praise him for who he is? You may speak a great deal about what a blessing your faith is and how you just really love the Lord, but if you are prayerless, is that really true? If you aren't joyful, humble, and faithful in private before God, then what you want to appear to be on the outside won't match what you truly are. This is deep stuff, right? You're, you're kind of following the train of thought. The infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is your private prayer life. It's what happens in the secret when nobody is looking. And that's why Jesus is getting to these things. Hey, don't do it before men. Don't do it to be seen, to be heard, etc., etc. And so the question that I want to ask is, how then do we get to that place, that place of, of private prayer where genuine prayer makes a genuine Christian. Have you ever wondered, you know, what, what is it? What, how, how do we do that? So the next key in living led is we're just kind of working through the summer. I would submit this, that the life that is led by God leans on God through prayer. Not just when everyone is looking, but, but in the private, in the secret. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Um, I, you know, before we get to the Lord's prayer itself, Jesus gives us a simple answer. He says, well, don't do it like these people and don't do it like those people, okay? Notice again, you're there in, in Matthew chapter 6. There are two people, two kinds of people that he doesn't want us to pray like. In verse 5, it says, when you pray, this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, when you pray, you shall not be like the who? The hypocrites. Hypocrites. The, uh, the literal meaning is actors, people who are doing one thing on the facade, but the internal life is completely different. But notice what characterizes the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the, the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. So hypocrites do it for show so that they can be seen by other people. Their focus is on themselves and not upon God. So genuine prayer, how do we do it? Well, one, don't do it like the hypocrites. Don't do it to be seen by men. The second thing in verse 8, skip on down to verse, I'm sorry, verse 7. Verse 7. And when you pray... Do not use vain repetitions as the who, as the heathen, right? My Bible says heathen. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. In other words, don't be like the hypocrites who do it for show. Don't be like the heathen who, who are trying to gain an audience with God, who aren't even certain that God really cares in fact, in verse 8, he wants us to have a completely different attitude. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of when? 
Are you, are you reading it too? Yeah. Before you ask. Oh my. <laughs> Do you see that? Matthew chapter 6 verse 8 is corroborating what, of what Isaiah 65 verse 24 says. That before you speak, God will hear. Before you call, he will answer. And Jesus is basically saying, hey, you don't have to be like the hypocrites. You don't have to be like the heathen. You don't have to drum up things to get my attention. Why? Because you have a father who knows the things you have need of before you ask him. It's a goal. So the goal of prayer is not to be seen and it's not to be heard. What if the goal of prayer is to approach, approach God asking to see and to hear God? What if it's not so much about me being seen and me being heard, but what about seeing and hearing who God is and where he's at work in our lives. And so we're going to start digging into this. How then do we do that? How, how do we pray with this kind of assurance that God sees us, that God hears us already? How do we have genuine communication with Jesus, with, with God? So Joshua, take us into the Lord's Prayer and how this all works out. So in Matthew verse six, or chapter 6, verse 9, In this manner, therefore pray. So you could stop there. So those words in this manner. Jesus in that verse is giving us a model, showing us how to pray. But like Pastor Godfrey was saying, it's not a script that we repeat over and over. So what does the model of prayer show us? In this chapter, it's the first time that Jesus is mentioning the Lord's Prayer. But later on in Luke 11, verse 1, he's praying and the disciples ask him how to pray because they want to know how to pray like he is. So again, he teaches them like he did before, but this time he doesn't do anything different. He uses the same method of teaching them that he did in chapter 6. So... The real, sorry, what he's saying there is that there's something deeper about the prayer that they didn't get the first time around. But in the second time, he didn't use anything different and they got it, but they didn't get it the first time because they weren't really looking deeper into it. Okay, so, so take us deeper, Joshua. In verse, in verse nine again, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, the word Father. He wants us to feel. Jesus wants us to feel like a part of his family, calling his Father our Father saying he made us and he wants us to call him father because we are family to him. He wants us to know that we're family because we're loved so much that people say that they would die for their family. He died for us, his family. So one of the questions is, why do people think why do people think that God isn't their family? Well, one 
is sometimes if a loved one is sick or they're praying for something and it doesn't get answered or the loved one dies, they feel that God could have done something, but he didn't on purpose to show them, to test them, I guess you could say. But they don't see the bigger picture. They just see what they wanted to see and what they wanted to happen. So they're, they get mad and they think, if you're family, why didn't you do this for me? The other thing about family is if you go over to somebody else's house, are you going to ask for all these things like, can I have food? Well, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't ask for that. <laughs> I'd wait until I was offered. So him being family with family, you could ask, can I have this? Can I have that? And they might give it to you, and they might not. They might save it. With God, he might give it to you, or he might give it to you at some point that you need it the most. So, moving on to hallowed be thy name. So, what the question, the first question is, what does hallowed mean? So, up here is the dictionary meaning of hallowed. Regarded as holy, what is that word? Venerated. Venerated or sacred. So, hallowed is a word that you would use for someone who is exalted, has more power over you. Sort of like a royal greeting. So, it's associated with, O king, live forever, is hallowed. Why we say, hallowed be thy name and why we don't say hallowed be thy power. Saying hallowed be thy power is pretty much worshiping his power, worshiping what he can do for you. And power can't give you, power can give you everything, but you'll always be missing, missing something like with money, money can get you everything you want, but you'll miss happiness. Power, it can give you everything you want, but you'll be missing the love that a family member, God, can give you. So that's why we say, hallowed be thy name, and not hallowed be thy power. Okay, <laughs> so moving on is... Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, it's, say, it's pretty much a refreshing reminder that God's kingdom is coming soon. And people might ask, like, why do we need a refreshing reminder? We already know. But think of it like if you're on a really narrow path full of, like, rocks and stuff, but there are all these paths off the rocks, and they look super fun, and there are other people on there, and you might want to go join them. But at the end of this path is God's heavenly kingdom. So 
if you just keep walking, you'll get there and you'll think, why did I even think of going off this path when this is so much better than what was on the sides? So some people might think, oh, it's okay, I'll just go off and then I could get back on the path. But it's much harder to get back on than it is to get off. So people need refreshing reminders that they're so close to God's kingdom and if they step off that path, then everything that they've gone through before is, they've gone over rocks and stuff, but they just walked off that path and forgot about it all. So think that there's a rope. There's some tape on the beginning of the rope, but all the way through the rope, the rope never ends after that tape. So on the tape, in the beginning part of the tape, you're born there. And the little farther, you take your first step, you get your car, stuff like that. So people think that they have to get all this money on that little piece of tape. They have to be rich, famous, have to have all of this, everything that everybody else has. They have to be popular. When really, they don't see that this piece of tape will end, but the rest of the rope will never end. So we need to try to give people reminders that this tape will end, but the rest of the rope is everlasting. So next is your will be done. Your will be done is saying... If you pray for something that you need, if it's saying if you want it to happen, it will happen. If you don't, it won't. So people think that God will give it to them exactly and when they need it and when they want it. But they don't understand that it's when God wants to give it to you, not when you want it but when he wants to give it to you. So think of it like you're at work and your boss is pushing you or bossing you around <laughs> to, give you, to give him the report that you needed to turn in. So sometimes that's how people are with God. They boss him around and they push him around asking for what they want when really it's if he wants to give it to you, then you'll have it. Awesome. Wow. Um, deep stuff there as you're just even getting into the, just the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer. Um, if, you, if you've noticed, just this, this whole beginning, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We haven't even prayed about anything in our own existence yet, right? <laughs> we, all of that so far, the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer is really focusing on God. And maybe that's one of the things, in order to have genuine prayer, it's not just about me. It's about actually opening up my eyes to see who God is. That He is our Father, and He wants us to be certain of that. 
that his name is awesome. It's not just his power that's awesome. It's his name that is awesome. That his kingdom is coming. He's got such an, a, more, a, a more eternal perspective than we ever could. And that his will is much better than ours. And all of that kind of shifts how we uh, approach our own needs. Can we pray for our own needs? Yes. The rest of the prayer goes on. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And, and so here we're just going to kind of break down uh, the kinds of things that we then can be praying for in our own experience. And I, I gave Joshua permission to interrupt me at any time because he's, he's got these insights and stuff that kind of pop in. But... Um, but yeah, I don't know if you've ever kind of get, gotten stuck about what you should pray for. Um, like when you get on your knees, and you're like, okay, so now what? You know? <laughs> um, but the reality is that once we start focusing on who God is, like that totally shifts what we start praying for. When we realize that his kingdom is coming and that his will needs to be done and not just ours, I'm not praying. Joshua stopped praying for Lamborghinis last week. <laughs> no, um, but here's the point. We, we can pray for what really matters. We can pray for what really matters. And so first step, we pray for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Needs for that particular day. It doesn't have to be literal bread that we're praying for, but maybe we do actually need to be praying for the, the physical sustenance that we need each day. Um, but, but here in that simple line of verse 11, there's two things that it recognizes about God. First, it recognizes God's power. Can he give us bread? Yes, he can, right? Amen. He has the power to supply whatever we might need every single day. Uh, again, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, if you're taking notes, you can write this promise down. My God shall supply all your need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's God's promise. He has the ability. He has the power to do that. But not only does it recognize God's power, he can give us bread. It also recognizes his faithfulness. He can give us bread, not just today, but every day. Do you notice that? That when Jesus wants us to pray, he wants us to pray for daily bread. Have you ever wondered, why not pray for weekly bread? Wouldn't it be nice to have a weekly supply? How about a monthly supply of bread? No, no, no. There's something about God's faithfulness that he's actually inviting us. Jesus wants us to know that when we pray, we can engage God's faithfulness every single day. He's constant. He's consistent. Maybe it's that God is interested in a daily relationship with us. That's why he doesn't say weekly bread. I don't want to just hang out with you once a week. That's why he doesn't say monthly or annual bread. He wants us every single day. There's something about the life that's led by God that has in view one day at a time. I don't know, I don't know if you've got old school songs in your head. One day at a time. Just kind of like pops into my mind. You know, there's one day at a time. The life that's led by God is willing to trust him. Every single day. That's why, actually, if you're there in Matthew chapter 6 still, um, in, in verse 34, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, and uh, Edre Santos, he'll be preaching next Sabbath on, on this passage. But in Matthew 6, verse 34, it simply says this, Therefore, do not worry about when? Tomorrow, right? For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's why there's an Old Testament passage in Lamentations chapter 3 that says uh, God's faithfulness is new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. God has in mind a day-by-day -day relationship with him. 
a day-by-day relationship with him. So there's a humble submission in this simple opening line of, our, you know, the focus on ourselves and our own needs. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a simple, humble submission to a life that's free of excess and a life that's free of worry, saying, God's got my back today. He's got my back today. How about this line about forgiveness, Joshua? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So, in this part, is it hard to forgive someone when they've done something? So, imagine how hard it is for God to forgive you every time you ask for him to. So, what is the definition of forgiveness? Forgiveness. To send away, to let go, to give up a debt, to keep no longer. So, let me think. Okay. Even when we don't do the right thing, God will always forgive us. Even when we sin against him, there is no amount of forgiveness that he gives us. So, he won't be like, this one last time I'm going to give you forgiveness. He's going to say, every time that you do something wrong and ask for forgiveness... I'll give it to you. Like, if you were here for family time this morning, they were talking about how the king's servant owed the king a lot of money, and the king forgave him for all that money that he owed him. But later, that servant went out, and he found somebody that owed him money, and the person didn't have much money and couldn't pay off the debt right now and asked for just a little longer for him to forgive him for not having the money. But he doesn't, the king's servant doesn't forgive him and has him thrown in jail. Someone tells the king about this and the king tells his servant to come to him and he tells him, I forgived you your debt, but you didn't forgive him his. So, why should God forgive us if we don't forgive the people who owe us something? Just forgiving someone is so hard, but every day someone is asking God for forgiveness. And all of that weight of the world asking for forgiveness is on him and he forgives us all not just one of us all of us so there's something about actually being able to forgive other people that makes us appreciate the experience of forgiveness that we long for and look for from god and um, thanks for sharing that joshua and in this last line so when we're praying about we can pray about daily needs we can pray about our need for forgiveness and our need to extend that forgiveness. I mean, these are, these are everyday things, right? These are, these are experiences that we walk through. And sometimes we don't even realize that, that, we haven't, that we've been withholding forgiveness from somebody. Um, but each day, if we really make this our, our prayer model, you know, our prayer template, so to speak, then it gives us a chance for self-examination and reflection. God, you know, I know I need forgiveness, but would you give me grace to forgive others too, you know? 
So we're praying for needs, we're praying for grace, we're praying for forgiveness. And then here in verse 13, what are we praying for? Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're asking God to do two things, one to lead us and also to deliver us. It recognizes that God, you know, we, we can't actually lead ourselves. I don't know if you've gotten to that humble place where you realize, I cannot lead myself. <laughs> Um, you know, the other day I was realizing that in, in the 23rd Psalm, maybe you've heard of it, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Have you noticed there? He leads us to green pastures, still waters, paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and then I end up walking certain ways. Like when we end up leading ourselves, we end up going down valleys of shadows, darkness, destruction, and death. We don't have the power to lead ourselves. And that's why this simple prayer, do not lead us. It's it's saying, God, please be the one that leads us. Because I only end up leading myself into temptation and darkness. And so it recognizes God's leadership. But then it says, deliver us from the evil one. When we ask for deliverance, what does that mean about your situation currently? I mean, I, I've, like literally, I've never been a prisoner of war. I don't know, maybe some of us have had that kind of experience. We need deliverance from things that are keeping us beyond our ability to get out, right? We're, we're in a situation that we have no escape. We're in a situation where we're in bondage, we're chained up. That's what deliverance is about. And so when we say deliver us from the evil one, it's actually humbly saying, Lord, I am stuck. I have no capacity Sometimes no desire to get out. The Lord, please deliver me. Deliver me. And so it recognizes that dynamic of spiritual bondage. Delivering ourselves is just not part of our arsenal. We don't have the capacity. We don't have the ability. And sometimes we don't even have the desire. But sin has this grip on us. And if we discipline ourselves, educate our minds to actually pray for deliverance, God will give it. God will give it. Jeremiah 17, 9 reminds us that the heart is desperately wicked and it's deceitful above all things. Sometimes we don't even know how to estimate how stuck we really are. But God is able to deliver. And then there's this last line. After we've prayed for our needs, asked for God's grace so that we can give God's grace, and then asked for his leadership and deliverance in our lives, it closes out with, goes focus on God, focus on ourselves, and now back, focus on God. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Joshua, what does this mean when we're asking or when we're confessing that God's kingdom is his? So, really, all the world is God's. It's his kingdom. He gave it to certain people to rule those certain parts of his kingdom. Presidents, kings, rulers, and all the other ones. Principals, teachers, parents? No, I'm kidding. Mm. (laughs) But he appointed, appointed, right? Yeah. yeah, okay. Them in charge. And really, they all have their employees and their servants and everybody below them. When really, you could say they're employees of God. So you may be praying about circumstances where there are other leaders kind of like, oh man, this is making this difficult. But when we confess, hey, yours is the kingdom, 
we can we can trust God with those those situations. Yeah, and then again, yours is the power, right? Yours is the kingdom and the power. Meaning, God has the power. All these needs that we've been praying about, those daily needs, that daily bread, that forgiveness, that deliverance from evil. Sometimes we end up praying that and just kind of desperately, like, Lord, can you? But we can remind ourselves, He can. He can do it. Yours is the power. We're praying that all these things are really beyond us and God has the ability to meet those needs. God wants to and he can do it. We can pray with confidence. How about yours is the kingdom, the power, and the, the glory? So yours is the glory. When the disciples went out to do miracles and they healed people and taught people and threw out demons... People were praising them, and they were saying, wow, you're so powerful. But the disciples said, no, it's not us, it's God. So they were giving God the glory. They could have taken all the glory for themselves, but they gave it to God. So true prayer is asking for blessings so that God can be glorified through you, not Asking for needs and stuff, but asking that God, God can be glorified through those needs. So when we pray about those daily bread things, it's not just so I can be satisfied. It's so that God can be glorified. I, that, that's actually a big deal. Wow. Okay. So, like, I, I'm praying for stuff, but it's not just me. I'm not the end. There's an end that's way bigger. And it's God's glory. It's God's name. We can, we can pray in light of God's glory. And so, you know, this is just as we're wrapping up here. Now, I want us to think about how in the world, uh, you know, how, how has God been teaching us just through this model prayer? You know, is the, is the takeaway, go ahead and pray the Lord's Prayer some more? Sure, you could. You can. But the real takeaway is how is the Lord's Prayer going to change the way you pray? That, that, that's what we want to ask ourselves today. And so maybe you've heard something about being certain of God being our Father. Maybe you've heard something about uh, really hallowing God's character, hallowing his name, praising him for who he is, or uh, the fact that his kingdom is coming and that his will needs to be done, not just your own. Or maybe you've heard something about their daily needs and forgiveness and, um, and deliverance from evil, that you're really realizing, hey, that's not a part of my prayer life right now. Maybe I need to incorporate that some more. I want to give you just uh, some chance to to kind of process, like, what are your takeaways today? Um, Joshua, how about you? Like, what, what's your big takeaway as you've been studying through this stuff? What, what, how is your prayer life going to be different now? Or how has it been different since we've been studying this stuff? Well, hmm. the real takeaway for me is probably that we shouldn't be praying over and over for our needs because he already knows our needs but he still wants us to pray for them at least once because he wants to communicate with us and not to pray for our needs but to pray that we're glorified through our needs that we're glorified or he's glorified through our needs I gotcha yeah and you were talking about this yesterday so like so when you're praying for good grades, it's not just so that you can feel good about yourself, right? It's so that God can be glorified, yeah? When I'm praying for the ability to parent my kids well, it's not just so that I can have a happy home. 
It's so that God can be glorified. When you're praying for the healing of somebody, you know, it's not just so that they can have a better life. It's so that God's name can be glorified, yeah. And I think for me, my, my takeaway is um, the, keeping the eternal perspective in mind um, just to realize that, you know, a lot of times I get focused on that little piece of tape on the rope, right? Um, and yet there's the rest of the rope to be concerned about. And you know what? God's kingdom is coming, and that puts everything into its proper place. Some things sink into insignificance, and some things become even more important that I've neglected. Um, I want to give you a chance, a couple minutes, just to turn to somebody to your right or to your left. Hey, how is your prayer life going to be different because some of the things that, that have been studied today? All right, so go ahead process it. If, you, if you're not a, a group thinker or a collaborative thinker, maybe just, just sit in silence, just uh, think and, and pray to God. Hey, how, how are things going to be different today? I'll give you a couple of minutes.